Good evening. Thank you for coming. This is always a fun time. And uh, you've been around here for any length of time. You know this is, a, this is an experiment. And uh, we've uh, not done this before. We, uh, two weeks ago, Renee and I did this. And we were very encouraged with the amount of feedback that we got from text and from different emails and different things, not only here in this congregation, but people that watch online. And so, um, with that in mind, we thought we would continue. So, my sweetheart and I are going to be in the harness here today. The Bible said you're not supposed to put an ox with a donkey, and uh, I promise you, I'm the donkey, okay? And... uh, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, uh, but um, <laughs> I felt very strongly that the Lord helped me some time ago. I, I until I see something else, I, I'm, I'm convinced there are at least at least four Gospels in the Bible. And uh, just to give you a quick review, because some people weren't here at the beginning, I won't reinvent the wheel, but um, there is what is known as the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And um, when you put an uppercase letter on a word in the Bible, always pay attention to that. Specifically, you know, if it's not the first word in a sentence. Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 13, the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. But it's capital L. So when you study the lamb in the Bible, I mean, think of it. Abel offered a firstling of the flock. Firstling of the flock. In the Bible, there's... Herds and there's flocks. Cows were herds. But when you dealt with flocks, there were flocks of sheep. And that, that there's a distinction there. So when it talks about a firstling of the flock, we're talking about a sheep, a lamb. It's obvious Abel didn't offer a lamb for his brother. He didn't offer a lamb for Eve or Adam. He offered a lamb for himself. So, when I was a kid, my grandmother used to make rugs out of rags. Just a very poor coal miner's wife. She never threw anything away. If you went through the depression, you never threw anything away. And she would save these rags, old sheets, old towels, old washcloths. She'd keep them in a basket until she had enough, and then she'd make these rugs. So I was a precocious kid, and when they weren't watching, I would untie the rug. And, and I just got a, whatever, perverse sense of delight out of untying the rug, and I'd pull on it there, and it would pucker over here. And that's my mental model 
of the word of the Lord. I am convinced that there are themes, threads through the Bible. And if you pull on them in Genesis, they're going to pucker over in Revelation. Because they're woven. The lamb is one of those threads. You've got uh, a lamb for a man. And then you get to Exodus chapter 12. And it talks about the Passover lamb. And that wasn't a lamb for a man. That was a lamb for a house. For a house. Anybody that you could get in that house to eat that lamb, that blood was on the door, the angel of death passed over. When you deal with Noah, and it talks about clean animals that he sacrificed. It just keeps getting bigger. There's a lamb for a man. There's a lamb for a family. There's a lamb for a household. And then John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the whole world. That's why when you say the book of Hebrews, it said, You don't ever need another sacrifice. He is the ultimate lamb. Okay? So it's a no-brainer. Capital L. It's not about the Lord. So, when you study Ephesians chapter 4, there's a lot of ones in Ephesians chapter 1, Lord, 1, faith, 1, baptism. But it says very specifically in Ephesians 4 and verse 4, there's one spirit. One. Capital S. Now, you have a spirit. I have a spirit. Demons are spirits. Angels are spirits. But we don't get capital S. There's only one supreme spirit. You agree? One spirit. So what it says in Ephesians 4, 4. So you go to John 4 and verse 24. God is spirit. Capital S. There's just one supreme spirit. God is that one supreme spirit. You with me? Okay. Now you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it says, now the Lord is that same spirit, capital S. Not another spirit. Why? Because there's just one spirit. And this is where all the confusion comes in. There's not a spirit of the Father, separate from the spirit of the Son, separate from the Holy Spirit. That's three spirits. There's just one spirit, okay? Now you can call that spirit God. You can call that spirit Father. You can call that spirit Lord. You can call that spirit Holy. But there's just one spirit. You with me? All right. If there's just one spirit and God is that one spirit. And the Lord is that same spirit. So it doesn't matter whether you call that spirit God or Lord. It's the same spirit. Now you go to Acts chapter 9. Saul on the road to Damascus said... Who art thou, Lord? What's the answer? I'm Jesus. Jesus is the saving name of our God. Understand that? That's a big deal. that's, That's a massive deal. And once you wrap your... See, there's only one legal liquid that can deal with sin. And that's the blood of Jesus. The problem is God's spirit. That's why Paul said, under the king, immortal, eternal, invisible, the only wise God. Because he's the spirit. 
Remember when Jesus walked in that room? If you've got a credit card, there's a little piece of foil on most credit cards. It's called a hologram. That's the Greek word for spirit. When he said, handle me and see, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see. See, they thought he was an apparition. They thought he was like smoke. They thought it, they could stick their hand right through him. He said, no, touch me. Touch me. He said, a spirit doesn't have a body. Spirit doesn't have flesh and bone as you see me have. Why? They're invisible. Okay? There are, there are only three, there are not three, there are three words in our vocabulary that wouldn't be there if there wasn't God. Omnipotent, omniscience or all-knowing, omniscience, omnipresent. Those three words can only describe God. All right? So, What's the only legal liquid that can deal with sin? Blood. You see the problem? Spirits can't redeem anybody. Because they got no blood. So God has to get a body. God has to take on flesh. That's why the Bible said to wit God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. And John, Philip, this is one of the original 12. He said, would you show us the Father? And he said, have I been so long time with you and you still don't know who I am? He that has seen me has seen the Father. What does that mean? When you talk about Father in the scripture, you're talking about spirit. When you talk about Son, you're talking about flesh. All right? Because... If the Son is God, then God died on the cross. But if you understand, look at, look at the phrase, the Son of God. What is God, class? Spirit. Very good. What is Son? Flesh. So when you say the Son of God, this is what you're saying. The flesh of the Spirit. All right? God took on flesh. And that's powerful because that's why the name, there's lots of Mexican kids named Jesus, but they didn't resurrect. The name of Jesus, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. People say, you're Jesus only. No, man, I'm Jesus everything. Okay, I've heard people say, well, you deny the Father and you deny, I'm a Trinitarian. Okay, I'm a Trinitarian. I believe in three, but three what? I don't believe in three separate persons. What are you going to see when you go to heaven? What are you going to see? Are you going to see an old man and then a younger version of that old man with a lot of scars and a bird? No, you're going to see what John saw. One, sitting on the throne. All right? Jesus Christ is the everlasting image of the invisible God. You got that? That's a big deal. Because if you grab that concept. So when you talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible said in Romans 1 and 16. I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. So the gospel of Jesus Christ will save you. 
what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? Death, burial, and resurrection. You agree with me? That's Corinthians 15. All right, I'm writing the Bible right now. Not just the fact that that occurred, but we need to identify with that. That's why the Bible said we need to be crucified with Christ. Romans 6 and 4, Colossians 2 and 12 said we need to be buried with Christ. The Bible says in Colossians, we need to be risen with Christ. He died, we need to die. He was buried, we need to get buried. He resurrected, we need to be resurrected. So how do you do that? You die by repentance. We are buried with Christ by water baptism. Romans 8 and 11 says, if the spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, it'll do to you what it did to him. What is biblical resurrection? The infilling of the spirit. That's why in Acts chapter 2, the first time the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ was preached, Peter said, repent, die, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, burial, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, resurrection. That's, you've got to get that one. There are people that think you don't have to get baptized. You know, just, it's an added work of grace. But the Bible says in the book of Peter, the like figure wherein to baptism doth now also save us. And if you understand that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then if you don't want to get baptized, he's still on the cross. There are people that say the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not important. Well, if that's the case, he's still in the grave. It's a package deal. Death, burial, and resurrection. Okay? That's important. That's gospel number one. There's, There's what is known as... There's another gospel. Corinthians 12 talks about that. I I don't have time to go into all of that. Paul talked about there's another Jesus. There's another spirit. There's another gospel. So that's why when you read the book of Hebrews, it talks about illegitimate kids. I won't use the word it uses there. We got cheer in here. And uh, I'm not going to use that word. How do you have an illegitimate child? Somebody's got to be unfaithful. So when you deal with the concept of the bridegroom and the bride, he's our bride. He's our father. The church is our mother. You know, I don't, shouldn't have to explain that to you all over again. Jerusalem, which is above is free, which is the mother of us all. Hebrews 12 said the heavenly Jerusalem is Zion and the general assembly and church of the firstborn. So he's our father. Church is our mother. So you have kids. How do you have kids? The Bible talks about we, we have received not corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, which is the word of God. So when the word of God is preached, it is deposited into the womb of the mother, which is the church. And that's where life begins. All right? This is important because we're going to have guests come to church. Some of them will stay. Some of them will get up and leave. It's an old wives' tale, they just weren't hungry. It is not the duty of the sinner to travail. It is the duty of the mother to travail. That's why the Bible said when Zion travails, children are born. Zion's the church. You understand that? Okay. So, if you're going to have an illegitimate child, somebody's got to be unfaithful. It can't be him. He can't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So there's only, other one, there's only one other option. The church, the woman, the mother, she gets involved with another spirit. 
another Jesus, another gospel, and they have kids. And they sit on our pews. They got the same mother as we do. Just got a different dad. So how do you know who's who? Corinthians or Hebrews 12 said, if you are without chastisement, you're illegitimate. What's that mean? Can you be taught? Can you be corrected? Do you have an amenable spirit? That's the difference. If you have a legitimate understanding that the church is your mother and he's our father, there's a submission aspect. If I had to melt the Bible down into one word, that word would be submission. Okay? So, there's a third gospel. What, what is that? I've talked to you for several years. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus, no, when Jesus ministered, people weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. Nobody spoke with tongues. He's not baptizing people. In the, he did baptize his disciples, but that's it. So what does it say? Jesus went preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing their sick, delivering. So I believe the gospel of the kingdom. What does it mean when it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God? When you study Matthew chapter 16 and Jesus gave Peter the keys, not to the kingdom, but keys of the kingdom. There's nothing in there about water baptism. There's nothing in there about being filled with the Holy Spirit. What's, what did he talk to Peter about? Binding and loosing. Setting things free and stopping things from continuing. That's why, look at the ministry of Jesus. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. What did he do? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He opened up the blind eyes. He unstopped the deaf ears. He got rid of the bruise. He opened up the prison door. That's deliverance. Okay? So there's the gospel of salvation, death, burial, and resurrection. There's the other gospel, which is basically rebellion. There's a third gospel of the kingdom, which we need to understand. See, when you read the book of John chapter 3, Jesus said this to Nicodemus, you have to be born again. Everybody preaches that. Every church preaches, you got to be born again. But every church doesn't preach the next thing that Jesus said. you got to be born of water and spirit. Everybody doesn't say that. Then he said this, if you aren't born of water and spirit, you're never going to see the kingdom. You're not even going to see it. And he said, if you aren't born of water and spirit, you can't enter. See, I thought, as long as you're baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, you got the seal of good housekeeping on you. Bam, you're in the kingdom. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, you're not even going to see it until you're born of water and spirit. And that's what happens to so many people because all of a sudden you get baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, and then there's this revelation that comes on you. I think, I think Pastor Hoffman wants me to change. I really think he, I, I, I really think he, 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 we're talking a lifestyle here. I don't know if I want to do that. That's why there's a lot of people have been baptized. Legitimately, are you telling me they didn't get genuine Holy Ghost? I don't believe that. Are you telling me the Lord didn't wash their sins away? I don't believe that. However, all of a sudden when they realize I'm going to have to be willing to change my lifestyle. I'm going to have to be willing to let the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. 
That's a lifestyle change right there. There's some friends you can come keep, some you got to get rid of. They're non-growth. They're like barnacles on the bottom of your boat. Okay? So, I'm taking the long way home here. But there's a fourth gospel. The Bible said, how beautiful are, feet, are the feet of them who preach the gospel of peace. The gospel of peace. Ephesians chapter 6, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. I am convinced, and that's what we're talking about here tonight, again tonight, the forgotten gospel, the gospel of peace. When you read 1 Samuel, if you're familiar with your Bible, 1 Samuel is the story of Saul. Let's call Saul my generation. All of a sudden, there's this young guy named David. First Samuel is really, is just filled with the stories of Saul trying to kill his own son-in-law. There's a great book. uh, um, A Tale of Three Kings, written by a man named Gene Edwards. The book, for me, was worth one phrase in one chapter. It says, there's two times where Saul took a javelin and threw it at David. And then Gene Edwards said this, but David never picked it up and threw it back. It is crazy the time that Saul wasted trying to kill David, even though David is legitimately anointed to be the next king by Samuel. Okay? Let me read to you the last verse in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 31 and 13. And they took their bones and buried them under a tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. Saul and his sons are dead. And the last verse of the book of 1 Samuel ends with, we're going in a, on, on a fast. Look at the very next verse, which is 2 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 1. It came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David spent two days in Ziklag. The next verse, it's David. It's David. Saul, 1 Samuel, it's, it's over. 1 Samuel is Saul. 2 Samuel is David. There's a transfer between the generations. But what amazes me is the last thing they said between the transfer of the generations is they fasted for seven days. And if I am going to be successful at transferring this thing to the next generation, I've got to be someone that knows how to fast and knows how to pray. This is a spirit thing, ladies and gentlemen. I don't care what kind of education. I've said this for years, and I don't mean this facetiously. You need an education, but get an education and then get over it. Because if you think your degrees are going to help you learn God, you're crazier than a loon. God is a speaking God. God deals by revelation. All right? 
I don't care if you belong to Mensa. I don't care what your IQ is. I, I don't care how many degrees you have after your name. I don't care what your balance is in your 401k. Your money doesn't work in this arena. Your education doesn't work in this arena. You're not going to schmooze your way out of this one. This is about submission. This is about hunger. This is about a desire to please the king. That's what this is about. And when you study David, David is one of the great, I believe Joseph is the greatest example of Jesus in the Old Testament. But he's not known as the son of Joseph. It's Jesus, thou son of David. David is anointed three times in the Bible. The first, he's anointed by Samuel. Remember that? They line up the boys. Samuel said, you know, I don't, you got any more? Yeah, he's on a back 40 over there plowing or cutting hay. We'll go get him. And when that basically ruddy-faced, pimply-faced teenager shows up, the Lord said, there he is. One of them, what, Abinadab, Eliab, when Samuel saw him, he said, this is the Lord's anointed right here. And the Lord said, I've already rejected him. He didn't even know it. So when David comes, Samuel anoints him to be king. I used to preach a message called from the oil to the gold, because I promise you, there's a long time between Samuel anointing David to be king and David finally sitting on the throne. It's one thing for God to anoint you, but it's another thing for you to sit into a place of authority. There's a lot of water that's got to go under that bridge. And so when you come into 2 Samuel, it says David is anointed the second time. What was that? He was anointed over Judah. And then in chapter 5, he's anointed for the third time over Israel. Why? Because you've got to have three anointings. What are the three anointings? Prophet, priest, king. It says in the book of Acts, remember Acts chapter 2 has more in it than verse 38. A lot of Pentecostals need to understand that. But when you read Acts 2, 19 and 20, it talks about David was a prophet. All right? You remember when he came back into Jerusalem, dancing in front of the Ark of the Covenant? It's very specific about the way he was dressed. It said David was wearing a linen ephod. Only a priest could wear a linen ephod. And when you get into 2 Samuel 5, it said, and they anointed David to be king. So he's a prophet, he's a priest, he's a king. So when you come to the New Testament and you study the ministry of Jesus, Jesus gets anointed three times. First of all, Luke 7, he's anointed in the house of Simon, who's known as the Pharisee. He's anointed there in John 12. In the house of Lazarus, Mary anoints him for the second time. But the third is what is known as the house of Simon the leper. People say it's the same guy. No, trust me. Pharisees, whether you ever were, if you were ever a leper, Pharisees are not going to let you in their club. It's not going to happen. This is a different guy. This is the only place in the Bible where the head of Jesus was anointed. Jesus is our prophet. He's our high priest, and he's our coming king. All right? And these, these three anointings are very, very, very powerful. But what I want you to understand something, that would have never happened if there wouldn't been a transfer 
from Saul to David. He would have never had that prophet, priest, and king in that next generation. So I've been all over the planet for the last couple weeks. And so I've been going west, and my sweetheart's been going south. And so that's something that I picked up while I was studying since I was here last. So what did you find while we were here last? I was studying uh, Ephesians 6.10, of course, and it says, Finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Sorry, I forget that I need it. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And when I began to study this um, armor of God, um, and I went into our resources, it took me to Isaiah 59. And listen to what 59.16 says. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore his arm brought salvation unto him and his righteousness it sustained him. For he put on righteousness as a blessed breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head and put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with a zeal as a cloak. Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. And as in so many of his prophecy, he is talking about the Lord. He's talking about the Lord. And chapter 59 is just one of a series of chapters prophesying about the ministry of Jesus. Notice this. Isaiah 63, 1. Who is this that cometh from Edom and dyed garments with Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Do you remember what Isaiah 9, 6 says? It most do, but look at 9, 5. For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood, but this shall be with a burning fuel of fire. The great prophecy of 9, 6 is preceded by a description of a battlefield, confused noise, garments rolled in blood. This is the same language used in chapter 63. It is the description of our Lord and the battle he fought for us, the victory he won. Now notice what Paul does. Isaiah talks about the Lord and him coming victoriously out of battle, bathed in blood. But Paul is not talking about the Lord in battle. He's talking about us in battle. Yeah. Isn't yes. that amazing? Yes. Do you want to go? Do you want to finish this part, or do you want me to? It's just—it's obvious with what Renee is saying. The Bible calls him our our elder brother, 
He's not only our older brother. He's, he's the older soldier. He's the first soldier. And the first soldier in Isaiah is wants us to have the very same victory that he had. Okay? And, and, and listen to this. Loins girt about with truth. Again, I've got children here. Loins are reproductive parts, okay? But what is it saying? It's where you give birth to thoughts. You can give birth to, 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 to things that are not truthful, or you can have your loins girt about with truth. Give birth to honest things, truthful things, okay? It's, it's, it's just... The Isaiah, we, we found in, an, in another translation, this is the message. Isaiah, it, loins was clad with zeal as a cloak. Here's, here, here's the message. He dressed in righteousness, put it on like a suit of armor, with salvation on his head like a helmet, put on judgment like an overcoat, and threw a cloak of passion across his shoulders. And so, so what, 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 what Renan and I are trying to get to you here is how did Jesus achieve victory? The same way we're going to achieve victory. Are you giving birth to truth or not? What's going on in your head? You know, the helmet of salvation. Look, look at that shield of faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. Listen to this. Take the sword of the spirit. What is that? Which is the word of God. There's so many people don't get what, what that's saying. It's not enough just to be full of the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Bible? Because if you don't know the Bible, you've got an empty scabbard. You've got no sword. You've got the spirit. But the sword of the spirit ain't the spirit. The sword of the spirit is the word. And it's just, when I keep doing this again and again and again and again, it's, it's, it's all about taking things off and putting things on. And, and, and it's so much of it has to deal with the way we think. That I, I, I want a helmet of salvation on my head. You know, the Bible talks about the heart. But in the Bible, the heart ain't the heart. You understand that? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. In the Bible, heart means the core of your thought life. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And it's just, you got to make sure you got a helmet on your thought life. Okay. You've got to make sure that you're giving birth to good, what sort of things are good and honest and lovely and of a good report. I, I, oh, I've said this for years. I meet people that act like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. We're supposed to be a child of the king. We're going to start something new this Sunday. Before I preach for the next, I don't know how long, I'm going to have somebody in the church get up and say something good. I don't care what you talk about. You can talk about how nice the weather is. You can talk about how nice Jesus is. You can talk about something you saw in the world. I don't care. I want to hear something good. We are being buried in negativity and garbage and sewage 
And it's like, I'm going out of my mind. Woke. I guess I'm asleep. If they're woke. And, it, and it's just like, <laughs> I, I, I just, this whole victory. How, how you thinking? How are you thinking? My wife, my wife told me, you, you told me about a text that you got from Pam. someone. I, I, who did you get that from? From Pam. But you, I wanna, you need to tell these people. Or yeah. You may have something else. Well, I want to I read Psalms, and it says a song of degrees. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. We can build a bridge across the divide. Our brains are wired to place people in categories. I've been studying, guys. Um, I'm reading all kinds of books right now on um, how to have good conversations and social intelligence and uh, how to have emotional maturity and spiritual maturity. And um, it's amazing how science uh, will line up with the word of God. It really is amazing, the brain, and how it works and how it lines up with the word of God. So we can build a, a bridge across the divide. Our brains are wired to place people in categories. When skewed, this can lead to an unhealthy way of thinking, an us or them mentality. And so this is what separates congregations and peoples of, of different nationalities and races coming together because they live in separate categories. They don't come out and mix. And so when, they, um, when you don't mix and you're not inviting somebody over for dinner or having a conversation with them, um, getting out of your comfort zone to cross the barrier, that divide, that great divide. I know, um, you know, Daisy and I teach... Uh, I mean, not Daisy and I, Rukmani and I teach Sunday school together. Sorry, Dave. sorry, Rukmani. And the nationalities don't matter. The race doesn't matter. When we're working together, there's a common bond and a common mindset. And we were, every time I teach totter class, I ask for Rukmani <laughs> because our spirits agree. We work, we work hand in hand. And this is the kind of thing that brings us and draws us together. And it breaks down prejudices because we're hardwired to think, put people in categories. Oh, they're, they do this and they do that. And, and then what happens a lot of times is when you have a great divide and you're not interacting with them, you can start thinking unhealthy things, especially when you start feeling uncomfortable around them and you start stereotyping. And then every time maybe there's a wrong done or something that you see in the news, then you, then you um, are prejudiced against it. In other words, you add that as evidence. See there? See? And so what we as elders need to do and young people and people of different nationalities and races is try to, br to, to uh, build a bridge across that divide to come together in unity. And it says we have to strive for that. We have to strive for the unity of the spirit. So here's something that Pam sent me, and I love this. And when we when we live together in, uh, and tear down those walls and build bridges, we tear down those walls of prejudice and we live, learn to live in harmony. So here's what she sent to me, and I thought this was so great. 
The neurons of the brain do not die off, as everyone around them says. Connections between them simply disappear if a person does not engage in mental work. Absent-mindedness and forgetfulness appear, appear due to an overabundance of information. <laughs> he knows a lot about Shoo. Yes. I'm an information... Uh, <laughs> junkie. Yeah, junkie also. <laughs> Therefore, you do not need to focus your whole life on unnecessary trifles. Beginning at the age of 60, a person, when making decision, decisions, uses not one hemisphere at the same time, like young people, but both. Did you know that? <laughs> I loved reading this. Conclusion. If a person leads a healthy lifestyle, moves, has a phys uh, feasible physical activity, and has full mental activity, intellectual abilities do not decrease with age but only grow, reaching a peak by the age of 80 to 90 years old. <laughs> There's hope for us. <laughs> Woohoo! So don't be afraid of old age. Strive to develop intellectually, learn new crafts, make music, learn to play musical instruments, paint pictures, dance, take an interest in life, meet and communicate with friends. Make plans for the future. Travel as best you can. Don't forget to go to shops, cafes, concerts. Do not lock yourself alone. It is destructive for any person. Live with the thought, all good things are still ahead of me. A large study in the United States found that the most productive age of a person is about 60 to 70 years old. <laughs> There I am. <laughs> the, second, the second most productive human stage is the age of 70 to 80 years old. Whoa. The third most productive stage, sorry guys, all of you that get in this category, 50 to 60 years old, so you're behind me. Before that, the person has not yet reached his peak. The average age of the Nobel Prize, uh, I don't know how to say that word. Laureate. Is, thank you. He's the, he's the brains of the family. Laureate is 62. The average age of the president of the 100 largest companies in the world is 63 years. The average age of a pastor in the, most, in the 100 largest churches in the United States is 71. There's still hope for us, right? Woohoo! Whoa. The average age of dads is 76. Whoa. This confirms that a person's best and most productive years are between 60 and 80 years of age. This study was published by a team of doctors and psychologists in the New England Journal of Medicine. They found that at 60, you reach the peak of your emotional and mental potential, and this continues until you are 80. Therefore, if you are 60, 70, or 80 years old, and you, you are at the best level of your life. Isn't that awesome? Wow. So I, I want to read something, Hill, before you go on. Well, nope, I took it out, so I don't want to read it. Go ahead. 
you can, an old dog can learn new tricks. You've heard about the right brain, left brain. That's not what they've come to. They realize that as you get older, you're not dependent on one hemisphere. You, you, can, you can use them both. And that's because you're getting older. And not dumber. <laughs> you, you, you get where I'm going? See, like Draylon, um, keep him, he's in London tonight. You pray for Draylon. Because he's, they asked him to lead a worship service in London, and it's a big deal. And I know he's nervous, but I also know God's with him, and he'll be fine. But you keep him in your prayers, okay? But a couple weeks ago, he said, is there anything I can do for you? I said, yeah, I want you to teach me how to play guitar. And he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. He said, I got an extra, and I'll give it to you. And so he just gave it to me. So when he comes back from London, I start guitar lessons. I always wanted to learn how to play guitar. Okay? We're not here. Yes, learn a new language. Yeah, learn to play a musical instrument. Stretch. But what this is about is stretching about something bigger. When's the last time you took a young person out for dinner? When's the last time you brought them over? Here's, where's Barry at? Barry's, here's Barry. How long have you been in the church? Just over three years. One of the greatest things that happened to Barry was Bob and Ron Lichtel invited him to go hunting with him. He never, he knew nothing about camouflage, about crossbows, about guns. He didn't know nothing about that. They stick him in a tree. First time he's in a tree, he shoots a deer, graveyard, dead, game, set, match. Bam. You know? It was just cool. I, I know he wasn't speaking in tongues, but I'm telling you, the bond that Barry built with men in his church in the woods has made a big impact on him being with us here now. Listen to this verse. If you got a Bible, go with me to the last chapter of Malachi. We're almost done. If you got any kind of Bible at all, you have one of these. Here's the last chapter of Malachi. Here's the first chapter of Matthew. You got one of these. One sheet of paper between Malachi 4 and Matthew 1. Does anybody know how long that piece of paper represents? 400 years. Way to go, class. 400 years. Why? 400 years of silence, no prophet, no voice from God, nothing. Why? Read the last verse in the Old Testament. And this is what it says. I'm going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And when I do, I'll turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And if this doesn't happen, I'm going to smite the earth with a curse. It is my personal contention. That's why that piece of paper is in our Bible. 
That's why there were 400 silent years, because God tried to get the fathers to be involved with the next generation, but they didn't have time. And when that doesn't happen, you're never going to get them young people to turn their hearts back to the elders. It's my job as an elder to do. I, I spend I, I This week I was with kids. Tomorrow I'm going to be with young people. And it's just, I like being around young people because it keeps me young. But I'm, 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 I'm here to push you. Yeah. yeah, learn an instrument. Yeah, learn a language. I tell you what we really want. Push yourself. Push yourself. You ever heard of Big Brothers? You know, take, have you taken a kid fishing? I, I think I've told this story. I, some of you have heard it. Some of you haven't. There's only two father-son teams that have ever been in the White House. John Adams and John Quincy Adams and both of the Bushes. In the Smithsonian Institution, the last time I was there, they had a display because it was very common in 1800s. For, you're not talking Facebook. There's, they're not, they, kept, they kept journals. And they had, John Adams was in Paris with Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin. And he was missing his family. So he sent for his boy, John Quincy, who was five years old. Three months on a ship, he brings his boy from New England to Paris. They have, they still have the journals of John Quincy Adams, the boy, and John Adams, the dad. They had it turned to the very same page. The dad's journal said this, took my boy fishing today. I didn't get anything accomplished. It was a wasted day. But the boy's journal said this, I went fishing with my dad today. It was the greatest day of my life. We as elders don't get to determine what's quote unquote quality time. That's up to them to determine. I, when my dad would sit on that front row and I would tell stories, you know it if you were here. My dad was very vocal. I would tell a story and he'd go, that didn't happen. Nah, that didn't happen. He's making that up. I wasn't making it up. I remembered. He forgot. You know why? It wasn't a big deal to him, but it was a big deal to me because I was with my dad. And he took time with me. Yeah. And it's just, I, I just. Like are you taking time with Ashley. She, what does she say to you? It's so cute. Is she in this room? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this wonderful, Dad? Just you and me. Nobody else. Just you and me. So every week, Ashley and I go on a date. And that's, that's my girlfriend over there. And I'm her sweetheart. And it's just, I'm, I'm not here to be judge and jury. I'm here to provide challenges to you. Stay in touch with these young people. If we will, they'll love us back. And there'll be a unity and there'll be a peace. And I'm not saying we got big war here. We really don't. I'm trying to fix something that's, as far as I'm concerned, is in a very small way in this church. I see it everywhere. I, I was just in California. I, I, on and on I can go. I see this thing everywhere. And it's like, God, would you use Renee and I somehow to bring some type of challenges and some type of solutions? And it's like, well, I'm 70. I, I, I'm put out to pasture. No, you're in your prime right now. 
You really have a God-given gift to be able to use your faculties to be able to accomplish something now better than you've ever done it ever in your life. Right. You got something to is. say? That's the way it is with me on my Zoom prayer, guys. It just flows out for me, and I've never felt more used of God than I have since the pandemic. And who'd have thought? But I was, I was trapped in not really using, utilizing the gifts that God had given me properly. And now that we are free from the physical serving of the church, I can serve spiritually. I can be in that word and teach and pray. And it's a beautiful thing. And that's where I'm, it's like I've reinvented myself again. And it's a beautiful season. It's a, I, I think it's one of the best seasons of my life. I'm loving every minute of it. And so I want to encourage you that Number one, come to the Lord and ask, God, what would you have me do? What is my purpose in this church? What is my purpose? What is your plan for my life? And then not just the physical things, and I think that's great, but spiritually, what are you calling me to? And answer that call. It said he'll, put, he'll be a lamp unto your feet and a light to your pathway. Again, that preparation of, that, of your feet. What did you say? Without shoes, we can't go anywhere. Tough to fight a battle without shoes. Yes. We've got to be prepared for the battle and be intentional. How do I say this? We were blessed with two girls. It's the one thing that I regret in my life. I should have had more children. And our oldest daughter lives in Texas. We have two granddaughters in Texas. It's lousy. I, I, I'm just telling you, it's, it's lousy when your kids and your only grandkids live 1,500 miles away. But the Lord dealt with Renee and I and said, I'm going to give you lots of sons. I'm going to give you lots of daughters. And we added them up We've had 17 girls live in our house. 17. Do you know what my water bill was? It was a part of the national debt. You ever been around women? Three towels. They stand on one. They wrap one around their body. They put one on their head. It's three towels every time. I mean, it just, I could stand outside and say, turn something off for goodness sake. Because that thing's just going, you know. But look what we got. We got girls everywhere. I think there were boys in that mix. Too. Boys and girls. We, we've always had people until now, you know, mother and ass. But we've always had young people in our house. People said, you're crazy. You're out of your mind. Yeah, but look, 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 look what we have now. Look what we have now. Is it sometimes you, you know, I'm a man. I want to go in my underwear at three in the morning to the fridge. You can't do that if you've got a bunch of girls living in your house. Okay. Sorry to be so transparent. But I'm just, yeah, there were times Renee and I weren't alone. Yes, there were times when we couldn't and would have liked to have been. And it's just, but it's just, look what we have now. I got gray hair, dude. I got bifocals. But I look around. I, 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 got, I got boys everywhere that call me a father in the gospel. We got girls everywhere that call us mother and father. And it's just, Jesus' name. Stand. Let's practice, Okay. Let's practice. Come with me around an altar. Let's practice. Let's practice right now. We need to have lab, okay? We've had theory. Now let's have lab, okay? I want you to find a young person. 
that's not your biological child. Just go find one. That's right. Just go find one. Just move around. Go find someone else other than your family. If you can't find some, we got young people here, but whatever. Just, just move around. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh yes. Oh Jesus. Now, I want you to pray with me for these people right now. All right. Let me see if you can get anointed about someone other than your real, your biological family. Let me see if you can pray for somebody else's kids as intensely as you pray for your own. Let, let me see if you can pray for another son, another girl. Can you, can you do that right now? Let's stretch right now. Lord Jesus, I lay my hands on this man and this woman right now. I do not do it because I'm superior to them. I do not do them because I, 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 I know more about you than they do. But according to your word, Lord, it is my duty to turn my heart to these young people. And I, I turn my heart to them right now. And I ask you, God, I want them to hear my prayers. I want them to see my tears. I want them to feel my compassion. I want something. I don't want them just to hear me. I want them to feel me right now. I want them to know. I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm standing by you right now. I think I know your name. I think I know what you're going through. But I, there's probably something I don't know that you're dealing with right now. But I'm standing by you right now. You're not alone. You're not alone. Two are better than one for they have a reward for their labor. One puts a thousand to flight. But two puts ten thousand to flight. So what I've got my hands on right now puts a dynamic in my life. That there are ten thousand things this person and I together can overcome. I ask you, Lord, right now, put a bond. Put a bond between us, Lord. Oh, oh, Jesus. You said David and Jonathan's souls were knit together. You had your disciples. Paul had Barnabas. Paul had Timothy. Paul had Silas. Paul had Titus. Paul poured his heart into other people. Young men. Young women. Oh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Yes, 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 yes. You have no idea what you got your hands on right now. We got kids that are being cyberbullied. We have kids that are under an enormous pressure at school. Enormous pressure. Nothing like you and I ever went through at school. <laughs> you got your hands on someone. Their dad may not be in church. Their mom might not be in church. Parents are supposed to bring children to church. Not children bring parents, but that's what we're dealing with in some of these things right now. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus name. In Jesus. Clap your hands. Let's make our request known with thanksgiving. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.